talk into the mic. Blah, blah, blah. Okay, um, my name's Emma, and I like to party. That's a Hot Rod reference. I don't know, um, I think that Greg is fine, I guess. My name's Emma, and I also like to party. You can't say that you like to party. I already said it. Where did you go? Cool beans. Cool, 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 cool beans. Welcome back to another episode of Is Fitz Happy? I'm Luke. And I'm Emma. And this week we're discussing Chapter 5 of Mad Ship, The Live Ship Ophelia. We pick back up with Althea's story. Is this the this is the first point of view of her in this book, right? Yes, so far. Yeah, so there is some recap, as we've talked about in the other episodes as well. Yeah, not everybody does a recap, but Althea definitely does a little bit of recapping. Yeah, for sure. So it starts out with saying Althea's watch was over, her time was on her was now her own, and it kind of picks up in the middle or nearing the end of the voyage where she boarded Ophelia in Candletown, I believe it was, and they uh, made the switch to Althea as first mate, and Greg is pretending to have a sore tooth. Yes, because she was previously traveling as a ship's boy, as a boy, and was found out. So now she is herself, and they are, it says, a few days from home. Yeah, and she is speaking with Ophelia near the bow. Mixed feelings, Ophelia asked her with a throaty chuckle. You know you are right, Althea conceded, about everything. Nothing in my life makes sense anymore. And this is where (laughs) she lists her confusions, but it's basically a recap saying, here I am serving as a first on a live ship merchant vessel. Captain Tanira has promised me a ship's ticket out of this. It's all the proof I need to be that I am a competent sailor and I can go home and hold Kyle to his promise before saw and claim Vivacia from him. And oddly enough, I feel guilty about it. You have made it so easy. I worked three times as hard when I was serving a ship's boy on the Reaper. It just doesn't seem right. I could make your tasks harder if you wish, Ophelia offered teasingly. I could develop a list or start taking on water or... So we get a little bit of a recap there. And Ophelia is uh, introduced a little bit more fully in this one. We had already a couple chapters where she appeared, but... We get more Ophelia, which is always great and a good thing in my opinion. Yeah, and I think Ophelia really gets to have her personality shine through this chapter more than we saw in the last ones. I mean, obviously there were a couple moments, especially when she's excited to hear about Althea's dirty dreams. But I think this chapter is a really good look into her personality and who she is as the ship and what... The Tanira family has given her, I guess. Right. And so Althea continues on in this conversation. And again, it's basically a recap saying like, yeah, I'm a much better sailor than when I first boarded the Reaper. But, you know, I don't regret any of that. But also, I lost all that time and you guys made it so easy. I can't get that time back with Fivacia. 
And Ophelia is basically saying, you know, that's water in the past. <laughs> Look forward. Don't mope about it. Look forward, not back. Correct your course and go on. You can't undo yesterday's journey, which I think is a really nice sentiment. It's a good thing to remind yourself when you're in the downward spirals about past mistakes. All right. <laughs> and Althea says, I know, I know that what I am doing now is the right thing to do. It just seems strange that it is so easy and pleasant. A beautiful ship, a lively crew, a good captain, a very handsome first mate, Ophelia interjected. He is that, Althea admitted easily, and I appreciate all Greg has done for me. I know he says he is enjoying the chance to read and relax, but it must be tedious to pretend he is ill so I can have the chance to fill his position. I have a lot of reasons to be grateful to him. Odd, you haven't shown him that gratitude. For the first time, a touch of chill crept into the, into the ship's voice. Ophelia, please, let's not get into that again. You don't want me to pretend feelings for Greg that I simply don't have, do you? I simply can't understand why you don't have those feelings, that's all. Are you sure you do not, do not deceive yourself? Look at my Greg. He is handsome, charming, witty, kind, and a gentleman. Not to mention that he is born of a Bingtown trader family and stands to inherit a sizable fortune. A fortune that includes a magnificent live ship, I might add. What more could you be looking for in a man? He is all those things and more. I conceded that to you days ago. I find no faults with Greg Nira, Or with his magnificent live ship. Althea smiled at the ship. Then the problem must be with you, Ophelia announced inexorably. Why aren't you attracted to him? And so we get to the today's topic. <laughs> yes. As... Althea and Greg, the will they, won't they story. <laughs> I think this is the only time I don't appreciate Ophelia's commentary, I guess. Um, and only because I think it's such like a pushy mother hen character, which is fitting. And I, that is her. I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't think it's out of character or anything. I just think it's an annoying thing of like, well, he's perfect, so why don't you like him? And it's like, well, that's not how feelings work. You can't, it doesn't matter how perfect you think he is. My grandson is perfect in every way. Yes. Marry him now. Girls should have, he should have to beat girls off him with a stick. Why is he single? <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think Ophelia is very much that figure of, I love this kid and it's family, and I don't understand why this person that I like a ton who is a wonderful woman, can't just like him back. And at the same time, we have Althea saying like, yeah, he is all those things. Yeah. I just don't think I feel that way about him. <laughs> yeah, and it is funny. I think the thing that I don't like about it is it feels as though Ophelia isn't pushy about any other things with Althea in that way. It's not like, a oh, you don't like it. You have to do it anyway. But this is such a just get over it and date him because you know he's great sort of deal. And I don't know. Not my favorite. Objectively, looking at the series, Greg is probably the correct choice for Althea. But then again, nothing ever really happens the way we want to in these books. No. So. <laughs> I don't think... get me wrong. I like Brashen as well. But mm. he's like... 
Greg is like the safe option, right? Yeah. I think if her dad wouldn't have died and Kyle wouldn't have done anything weird on the ship, she could have picked Greg in the future. I think he's a good choice, but I also don't know that outside of this situation, they really would have had a chance for her to know that he was a good choice. Yeah. Because I kind of don't see Althea looking for marriage actively. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, I think if her dad wouldn't have died, I don't think she would have been worried about finding a husband and she would have like gone into her older adult life, like just happy and content sailing. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we have Ophelia pushing for Greg and Althea kind of saying, you know, I am in a way attracted to him, I guess. But there are so many things in my life going on right now that I can't even think about anything remotely close to marriage or love or dating even. Right. That's just not the forefront of her mind. And while love is fun and she's not saying he wouldn't be a good match, it's just not right timing. It's not the time to dwell on it, which Ophelia doesn't really like as a response. She's like, well, don't you think he'd be a strong ally then? And she replies to that. Do you think it's better for me to use his advance advances for my advantage and lead him on so that I can have a better life that doesn't feel fair either. And you wouldn't want that, which I think is really admirable that Althea recognizes that she could get a lot out of the match and that she absolutely could lead him on and make him feel good so that she gets what she needs. And And Ophelia only got confirmation of what she wanted is that Greg has made advances then. Yes, (laughs) (laughs) but no, but I do want to point out that I think that's really admirable that both of them know that like, that's not a real option and that isn't something that you should do. It's not like they're pressing either of them are leaning towards that option. I think Mm -hmm. it was more Ophelia fishing. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. But no, but I think that's like an important thing too of like, yeah, just because somebody seems perfect on paper, if it's the feelings aren't right, you shouldn't use them just because you know that you could. Yeah. And it is a reminder that there is a lot to think about in Althea's situation. And so Ophelia is saying, ah, he has made advances then. I was beginning to worry about the boy, so tell me all about it. Ship, Althea warned her, but after a moment she could not help joining in her laughter. Are you going to pretend to me that you don't already know everything that goes on aboard you? Um, Ophelia mused, perhaps I know most of what happens in the staterooms and below decks, but not all. She paused, then pried. That was a very long silence inside his quarters yesterday. Did he try to kiss you yesterday? Althea sighed. No, of course not. Greg is far too well-bred for that. I know. More is the pity. Ophelia shook her head as if she had forgotten to whom she was speaking. She added, The boy needs a bit more spark to him. Nice is fine. But there's a time when a man should be a bit of a rogue to get what he wants. She cocked her head at Althea, like Brash and Trell, for instance. Althea groaned. The ship had wormed his name out of her a week ago and had given her no peace since then. If she was not demanding to know what was wrong with Greg and why didn't Althea fancy him, then she was pestering her for the sordid details of her brief liaison with Brashen. So Ophelia is the busybody looking for gossip, trying to push her towards Greg, but also wants to get all the juicy details out of her past. (laughs) Yes, yeah. 
I think that's what I like about Ophelia is she's just nosy. It doesn't ever feel like it's coming from a place of judgment. It's definitely somebody who likes to gossip, but it never feels like she wants the details because she's judging Althea or whenever Althea does give details, she like is aghast or whatever. I think that's what I like about this friendship between these two women is that they have that connection of not being the norm, I guess, at least for this day and age, and that they both appreciate that women can have romantic feelings towards men and sexual experiences outside of marriage or whatever. Like that's just a normal thing in this friend group. And I just love that about them because I think it's not something you get to see in settings like this very often where women are like encouraged by other women, especially to like embrace that sort of thing. I don't know if that makes sense, but I I really like that here it isn't frowned upon and it isn't coming from a place of judgment of that's not proper. But it is definitely a busybody (laughs) asking for gossip. And this question of wouldn't it be better if he was more roguish like Brashen? I don't love, I don't love the idea that a guy has to be a manly man, quote unquote, to be hot. Um, but it does give Althea pause and make her think about Brashen, which she doesn't like doing. And she has been trying not to do for a while now. Yeah. The more she decided she was finished with him, the more he intruded into her thoughts. She kind of goes over the past of the, um, her confusion in her brain trying to dismiss him out of it as we've talked before in the previous book at the end of the previous book basically her convincing herself no this was a huge mistake everything was wrong he was so rude when she had not kept a a rendezvous she knew was unwise he'd assumed too much far too soon didn't deserve a moment of her thoughts let alone dwelling on him But despite her waking disdain for him, he intruded into her dreams. And in her dreams, the poignancy of his gentle strength seemed a safe harbor worth seeking. In her dreams, she reminded herself, setting her teeth. Yeah, and I think that's the interesting thing about Althea and why her and Greg can't work. Because I think there is that unresolved feelings and chemistry she has with Brashen. So... Because that ended so weird and because she's trying to fight her feelings for Brashen, I think that's what doesn't leave room for Greg. I think there is a world where they could fall in love and she could get over Brashen, but I think just the lack of closure and everything else in her life going on right now leaves no room for Greg to be able to wiggle in. Because she also agrees with Ophelia that you know, she doesn't want a well-bred man who doesn't try to kiss her without, like, asking first. Which, like, I love when I get asked permission for things. It makes me feel so respected. Like, <laughs> 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 But, you know, I guess maybe that's 21st century woman versus whatever century this is. <laughs> Fantasy world. <laughs> so Althea knows she's been silent too long because she's thinking about Brashen. After Ophelia's question about him, she looks up and sees Ophelia giving her a knowing look and then kind of breaks that and changes the subject to something that she knows Ophelia will grab onto, saying, I think I'll go see Greg before I turn in. There are a few questions I need answered. 
Um, Ophelia purred, pleased. Take your time asking them, my dear. The Tanira men think deeply before they act, but when they do act... She lifted both her eyebrows at Althea. You might not even remember Trell's name afterwards, she suggested. Believe me, I'm already doing my best to forget it. Althea was relieved to hurry away from her. Sometimes it was wonderful to spend part of the evening sitting and talking with the ship. The Wizardwood figurehead incorporated many generations of Tanira sailors, but women had formed her first and deepest impressions. Ophelia retained a female perspective on life. It was not the fragile helplessness that now passed for femininity in Bingtown, but the independent determination that had distinguished the first women traders. The advice she offered Althea was often startling to her, yet it frequently reinforced views Althea held, privately held for years. She had not had many women friends. And in this, she goes on to talk about what a great friend Ophelia is to her and what a unique experience that is for Althea. She also talks about how when Ophelia tells her the stories that she has, especially those from her ancestors that she remembers, it reminds her or lets her know for the first time ever that her dilemmas are not unique and that it's not something that's only happening to her. Lots of people go through this. And I think what I like about this section and what you just read it really paints the picture of how hard it is for Althea because she wasn't really raised to be around a bunch of women. And so I think that kind of female presence is lacking in her life in a way that makes her feel like, oh, I'm othered. I'm outcast. No other women feel the way I do. They're all just prim and proper. And you know, the modern version of femininity and I don't fit that. So I can't be friends with them. But then because she has Ophelia, because she has somebody, especially because Ophelia was made with the memories of the older Bingtown women where gender roles weren't as strictly followed, she gets that experience of, oh, like women actually do have a lot going on. And, you know, it kind of, it kind of reads as I should have given more women chance like more women a chance to be friends because clearly I'm not alone this isn't a unique my problems aren't as unique to me as I thought and I think that is a comforting thing I think that's something the internet does for us now is that right. you can find people who have your lived experience and it feels like oh other people have dealt with this and got through or whatever it just that sense of comfort of oh I'm not alone in the world yeah, is so nice. And I just kind of feel that relief out of Althea from this. She ends that with, she encouraged Althea to follow her heart, but also held her responsible for the decisions she had made. It was heady to have such a friend. So it's an adult friendship, you know? Yeah. yeah, I think that's really important too. And I think that marks a good friendship, right? Like, Real friends encourage you to live the life that you want to live and to go after the things that you want, but they also call you out when you're making bad choices or when you're trying to excuse things that shouldn't be excused. And I don't know, I just really like this depiction of a female friendship. I think it's really nice and healthy <laughs> for the most part. <laughs> so, so she cuts her musings short a little bit and... Uh, is standing outside of Greg's door and takes some time to straighten out her hair and her clothes. And she remarks upon how she has changed from her ship's boy disguise to 
stepping into her name because the crew knows who she is. She is acting as the first mate as Althea Vestrit and as a woman of a big town trader family. Yes, you have to be sensible on deck, but she's also wearing trousers that are almost a split skirt. She has her shirt tucked into her trousers, but it also has a hint of embroidery on it. Her hair is pulled back, but it's not like tarred down and really secure like a man's might be. It's just pulled back and tied behind her head. Yeah, sensibly. Sensibly, yes. So yeah, sensible, but she is still a Bingtown trader woman representing the Bingtown traders as basically noble born. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely interesting to see this difference and see she specifically says that she feels relieved to get rid of the ship's boy persona. So this is clearly something she feels more comfortable in and it's just easier to be this prim and proper version because it's about honor. And I think that theme plays out a lot in this chapter about how Althea has this strong sense of what honor is and how important the family name and promises are. And that seems to come first and foremost for her, even though we've seen her struggle with that after the death of her father ultimately one of her core beliefs seems to be that honor is very important especially for a trader family and she does not want to dishonor her name right or her father's yeah and i think that's also really interesting because when we first see althea the impression we get is that she is doing things that would dishonor the name based off of the conversations we're hearing from kyle and her where they're arguing a lot and i think she's grown up yeah. a bit and i think she had an inferiority complex about her sailing abilities, or at least she thought she was, you know, really, really good and then got humbled. And now she realizing, oh yeah, now I'm comfortable in my skin. I do have to take responsibility if I want to claim, you know, Vivacia from Kyle. I have to be seen as a leader. Yeah. And I think she's really stepped into that role here. Yeah, I agree. I think that's a noticeable change just from first book to this book. She felt a pleasant anticipation at the thought of seeing Greg. She enjoyed sitting and talking with him. There was a gratifying little tension of awareness between them. Greg found her attractive and was undaunted by her competency. He seemed impressed by it. It was a new and flattering experience for Althea. She wished she could be certain that was all she felt. Despite her fling with Brashen, despite living aboard ship with men for years, in some areas she was very inexperienced. She was not sure if she was attracted to Greg for himself or simply because he seemed to be fascinated with her. Surely this was just a harmless flirtation between them. What more could it be between two strangers flung together by chance? She took a breath and knocked. As we see, she's very inexperienced when she ends with that line. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think it's I think it is really good to get this from her though and know what's in her head and heart right now with the Greg situation and just with Ration as well. There's, I think it's easy to forget that she is still pretty young. She is what, 19? Yeah. And yes, that's an adult, but it's a very young adult. And I think especially someone who probably was pretty sheltered, even though she was on a ship, it's harder to know what to do. Like 
what is more serious, what isn't. And know your own mind about yeah, things. Yeah. And I think especially when they have this culture where there isn't a lot of dating around, there's not a lot of, I don't know. Yeah. I guess just dating encouraged. It's harder to know what you're looking for. And it's really interesting to see Althea's way of handling men compared to someone like Malta, I think, especially. Yeah. And especially because Althea's been to probably only a handful of dances, even though yeah. we've determined there's probably 12 a year because they have the official ones. And then there's once a month, as they said, at somebody's house or another. Right. But yeah, I, I definitely think it's interesting to see how it's different whenever you are in the town and not and away. socialized. Yeah, and socialized. <laughs> and how much, how different that is. And But yet there's still that similarity of liking the attention that you get when there's romance in the air and liking feeling important and special. Like, that's a great feeling. It is. And I like that we get the maturity of acknowledging that that doesn't necessarily mean that, that there are feelings or that you need to pursue that. Yeah, I was... Uh just about to compare Malta and Althea's situation because they both feel like that. They both want to be wanted, right? Yeah. They, they like that feeling. It is a good feeling, but you see the comparison between them of a 13 year old versus a 19 year old where Althea can recognize that. As you just said, should I be pursuing this? Is this a good thing? Is this what I want? Whereas Malta is just like, mm, I want more of that feeling. Yeah. And there's no, I think with Malta, there's no acknowledgement of how that could lead to something that you don't intend or the consequences really. Malta isn't thinking about the end consequences. She's just thinking about how to get more of that good attention. And Althea here is doing a similar thing where she knows Greg likes her and she continues to hang out with him and receive that sort of special attention. But she does keep a very firm line of I'm not pushing this further than that because I know that that's not fair to either of us. And I like I think that's the difference. I think that's the maturity that Malta is lacking just because she hasn't had time. And I don't know. Probably because she hasn't been around men before, whereas Althea <laughs> has gotten to be around men. And so it's not necessarily a novelty to get attention from a man. It's more of a novelty to get that respect, which is, I think, what Melta wants, but cannot understand the difference between a male's attention and a male's respect. But Malta has been around men before. Remember, at Dello's house, all of Serwin's friends are coming and going all the time. She doesn't say she's ever met them. Dello brags about meeting the friends. Okay. So I think that she's met them before. Maybe not as constantly as Dello has. I feel like she had a specific line about how she was jealous that Dello had a brother that had friends coming all the time that she got to be around young boys. Right. That made it seem as though she doesn't really get to be around young boys. Yeah, I'm just saying like not never. Well, yeah. Okay. But significantly less than Althea. Well, yeah. So she enters Greg's room and he has he gratefully sees it's her and unwraps his bandages that were around his jaw, pretending he has a toothache. And they make their small introductions. He is extremely pleased to not have anything to do. <laughs> and he has been spending his time doing nothing and loving it. He says, for any sailor, idle time is too much of a novelty. We always find a way to fill it. He fished around the edge of his bunk and came up with a handful of rope work. 
He unrolled it on his lap to reveal a fanciful, uh, fancifully knotted mat. The intricate pattern had created a lacy effect from the stout twine he had used to create it. It was hard to believe such a delicate design came from his work-scarred fingers. Althea touched the edge of it. Beautiful. I do want to say that I I underlined his line of uh, talking about how, like, for any sailor, idle time is too much of a novelty. We always find a way to feel it. Fill it. Feels very mansplainy. <laughs> Greg, I'm not going to lie. The first half of her interaction with Greg, Althea's interaction with Greg here, um, gives me the ick a little bit. But <laughs> but I warm back up to it. I like Greg. I don't want to make it sound like I don't like Greg, but I don't love this first little introduction to him for the first time in a while. But that part, it was felt really like you wouldn't know as you're a woman, not a sailor, but cause it's like, dude, she's literally a sailor. I think she gets it anyway. <laughs> other than that, it is very interesting that he has this talent and it's even more interesting that Althea brings up next that her father actually was also gifted in tying ropes into knots and that he used to do it around empty bottles of wine and he could do intricate little designs that sometimes look like flowers, which reminds her that her father is gone. And he had said that he would help her learn how to do the same thing, but never got the chance. And now he never will. And it's really sad (laughs) and a reminder that, Oh yeah, her father has died. And I don't know. It makes me sad for her because it seems like a fun thing. She could have bonded with her dad over So I really think that Greg's offer of helping Althea to learn the skill that her father couldn't is really sweet. And I I, I like it a lot from him, but I think it does, it does give him another point in the column of why Althea should date him to me. I think Number one, that he sees it's something that she's sad about. He's trying to fix that problem, but also he's like, I could help teach you. And, you know, it could be a fun thing between us. <laughs> I think that's cute. But I also think that it just like kind of shows that he would be a good match for her because he is taking her needs seriously. He's recognizing when she's upset. I don't know. I think there's I don't know, something about it that also- makes me think they're good. He drops it when she says thanks, but it wouldn't be the same. Yeah. And he doesn't seem to take offense to it, which I think is a really good thing. I think that's really hard to do. I think it shows that he's a good person because sometimes when people offer you something and you say no thanks, they take it offensively or something. It's like, oh, you don't want my help and whatever. I I know that's like a fear of mine sometimes. And so I always try to like gently let people down. (laughs) But... Instead, we have here him saying, oh, okay, and just understanding in this moment that it's not about him. And if she doesn't want help, then that's the end of that. Althea was a bit embarrassed by the tears that brimmed her eyes. She hoped he had not seen them. They made her vulnerable. Greg and his father had already done so much for her. She did not want them to see her as weak and needy, but as a strong person who would make the best of her opportunities. She drew in a long breath and squared her shoulders. I'm all right now, she said in answer to his unspoken question. Sometimes I miss him so badly. There's a part of me that can't accept that he's dead and that I'll never see him again. 
This makes me sad that she feels like she can't cry. Right. Because it will make her seem needy. I think I... It's her own, like, insecurities. Yeah, and I think just really sad. I I guess I'm a crybaby person. I cry all of the time, no matter my mood, which I don't think is a secret. I think I've talked about that a lot on this podcast. (laughs) Um, But I've never thought of myself as weak or needier because I cry all the time. So it's really sad that Althea has this perception of like, if you cry, you're weak. Crying's great. It relieves a lot of tension, (laughs) at least in my experience. But not only that, but she feels like she has to be okay. And it really hasn't been that long since her dad died. Yeah. Maybe a year. Yeah. A little bit less than a year, probably. Even if it had been 10 years, it's still okay to be sad about the loss of a loved one. Like grief isn't linear and there's no like end date that you have to be better by. (laughs) You can still be upset somebody's gone. So both of those things make me sad for Althea that she can't just be sad in this moment. She has to be like, oh, nope, I this is weak. I got to be strong. (laughs) Greg asked a question that's been on his mind for a while, saying he knows it's a cruel question, but why did all this happen, basically? And Althea answers that she doesn't really know. And again, so this is like the third or fourth time someone asks a question to Althea and Althea goes into a response that is needlessly wordy. And it's mostly exposition. And yeah, mostly exposition. Like this one makes sense because Greg was not part of it, but some of the other ones were just a little bit more clumsily done, in my opinion. Fair. Compared to like the Wintro chapter, I think we talked about that. That was really good. Yeah. Uh, This one is just a little bit more. This one fits a little bit more into the context, I guess. Yeah. So she goes into the whole thing of like rehashing, you know, Ronica convinced Efren to do it because of Kefria and taking care of her kids and they didn't want to split apart the ship and the lands and all that sort of stuff. But it does end with some of her insecurities and add on to that saying the closest he came to a reason was to say something about providing for my sister and her children on good days. I tell myself that that meant he knew I could provide for myself and he was not afraid for me. On bad days, I wonder if he thought that I was selfish, if he feared that I would take Vivacia and care nothing for their welfare. She shrugs again, and she's just staring into the mirror, kind of looks at Greg from behind, or through the mirror, but looks at herself and sees her father staring out and sees a resemblance there. And this is where she says, continues and saying, you know, my mother says it was her idea and she convinced Efren, blah, 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 blah. But we get a bit more of Althea coming out of that answer. Yeah. And I think what I like about this response is we get a side to this that is something we haven't gotten yet, which is why Althea would be so upset in her own words that her father had done this. It's not just about the fact that her ship was taken away from her, that like she thought she deserved this and that's why she's upset. It ultimately comes down to the fact that she feels as though her father thought she was so selfish that she couldn't have provided for her family or wouldn't have. It's not necessarily that she isn't a capable sailor or that she couldn't have done well. It's just that her father might have thought she was selfish. And I think that's a really good read because it shows the 
level of trust and love that Althea and her father had that it's never about her competency and it's not about a petty reason like she thought she deserved the ship. It's it's much harder and it's a much different reality of what if my dad thought that I was a selfish person? Like that hurts. That wouldn't feel nice that you think your dad might think you aren't very good (laughs) of a person. And we know that's not correct. Uh, Althea, of course, is going to have those insecurities and those doubts run through her mind all the time. But we know, uh, just as a reminder, that Efren did want to make her captain, actually wanted to make Brashen captain, but Althea would eventually be captain. Yeah. And she would be sailing on it with Brashen. And Ronica is, was telling the truth and convinced Efren to keep the land and the ship together so they could work in harmony and, you know, be one working unit in case there was any rift between the sisters, et cetera, et cetera. And did convince Efren. But those thoughts aren't going to penetrate Althea's mind. You know, it's logic. And she probably understands that deep down that, yeah, that's probably true. But they're always going to creep in, those doubts. Right. And I think it shows more of who she is. And she continues on with this conversation to say that her mother's reasoning does kind of make sense now. Now that she's had the distance, she's not as angry, it's not as fresh, and she can look at it a little bit more objectively. It makes sense that her uh, that they would, you know, consolidate both things to her older sister. She talks about how it's more exposition, but about how her father made the choice not to go up the Rainwild River, and that means they're not as wealthy as other traders. And so they have more debt and a lower income. And then on top of that, there she says, our land holdings yielded well, but could not compete with Chalced's slave-tended grain and fruit. Consequently, our debt from the ship is still substantial, which is secured more with our land holdings. Yeah, so they're secured together. So if they fail on their debt with the boat, their land could go as well. Right. And so it makes sense that they have to be tied in that way. And so... I think that's also important that she can recognize that. But I did think that that was a weird point that she knew about the land yielding well, but the prices not being what they should be because of the slave fields. If only because last book, she is so utterly un- involved with anything that goes on in land she seems not to care about what happens on the land she's just there to party and then leave for the next ship sale so i was wondering if she would have known this i mean i can't i don't believe that her father would have kept that information from her i just don't think she would have asked i don't think she was interested yeah i yeah i feel like she might have got that information or believed it when she was on shore for everything and probably heard whisperings and rumors from other people, but, and put it together for herself. But it just, I think this is one of the things that felt the most like we're going to shoehorn the exposition in here and make it seem like Althea just knew it. And it doesn't make sense for her character because she acted against those reasonings and that knowledge. Yeah. So like, I don't think it's impossible she could have had that knowledge. It just feels weird that she does, considering how uninterested she is in what her mom does. Yeah, that's definitely fair. Either way, she talks about how there's a lot of debt. 
that yeah. ultimately they have a lot of debt and it kind of makes sense, which makes Greg speak up and say, you're hostage to that debt as well. And it makes her realize, number one, that Greg, because he's old trader, knows how deeply true that actually is. Yeah. And that she hadn't really thought about her role in the debt at all. And then gives us a little bit more of the exposition of it's paid by blood or gold. Yeah. Althea nodded slowly. Odd. She had known the terms of the bargain ever since she was old enough to be considered a woman, but somehow she had never applied it to herself. Her father had been a wonderful trader. He had always seen that there was money in the household to discharge their just debts. Now that her brother-in-law Kyle was in charge of the family's live ship and finances, who could say how things would go? Her sister's husband had never liked her. The last time they had been in the same room, in, the f in that final spectacular family argument, he had said it was her duty to marry well and stop being a burden on the family. Perhaps that was exactly what he had been hinting, that if she went willingly to a rain-wild man, the family could enjoy a lessening of their debt. Ever since she was a tiny child, her duties to her family's honor had been impressed upon her. A Bingtown trader paid his debts and kept his word, no matter what their personal disagreements might be. When threatened by outsiders, the traders closed ranks and endured. Those ties of kinship and duty included the traders who had chosen to remain behind the Rainwilds and settle there. Distance and years might have separated them, but the Rainwild traders were still kin to the Bingtown traders. Contracts with them were honored, and the duties of family were respected. She felt something inside her go hard and cold with purpose. If Kyle failed in the Vestrit family obligations, it would be her duty to offer herself. Fecundity was one of the treasure, that was the one treasure that the Rainwild folk lacked. She would have to go to the Rainwilds, take a husband there, and bear children to him. It was what her forebears had promised so long ago. Not to do so would be unthinkable. Nevertheless, to be forced into it by Kyle's malice or ineptitude was intolerable. And so she just comes to that realization now of like, I never had thought to apply this to myself before because I never really needed to. My dad was a good enough trader that we could pay our debts. But with everything she just listed out, with the holdings not doing as well because of the slave-driven grain and fruit and all that sort of thing, and you know, her dad dying and now Kyle taking over and we know his ineptitude as a captain. Right. The money might not be there and she's still part of the family. So she just kind of realizes another layer of, of debt and burden on her. Yeah. And what's interesting about this is her kind of willingness to pay by marrying a Rainwild man. It, I mean, she clearly doesn't necessarily want it to get to that place. Oh, she definitely doesn't want it to get to that place. But she's so accepting of it she's so like well that's my duty that's if it comes to that i will do it which is so at odds with ronica and kefria and obviously that's coming from a different place because it's about malta and malta is 13 right but it's still really interesting to see althea kind of take this realization and be like oh well i guess if i have to i have to and that's just part of my duty to my family and it's I think it's funny to me because in every other aspect, she's so against the grain and questioning 
why things are the way they are and why she can't break the mold to be herself. And yet in this instant, she's like, no honor and duty before everything. Well, because their whole society from not just her mother, who was like the whole, you know, society part, be part of dancing and stuff, but her father too. Like it was all about paying back the debts and everything and the kinship. They were traitors. So it was coming from both sides, somebody she admired and someone that whose work she avoided. Both sides were like, yeah, you have to honor this. So it, it was just ingrained into her from a young age. Yeah. I don't know. Either way, I just found that very intriguing. And it did make me think about the other side of that of what right now, because she's gone, that kind of falls to Malta and the reaction of her mother and Kefria. And it does make me wonder if her mother and Kefria would be as opposed if they knew where Althea was and could have leveraged her instead. Right. Or if it is sort of a, they're realizing that's a horrible bargain to have forced on anyone sort of deal. But we won't know. We we will never know. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Greg, like, gets her out of her reverie. (laughs) Yeah, but he kind of isn't reading the room um, (laughs) because she's obviously in this downward, downward spiral of like, oh my God, this could change my life in a way that I wasn't really expecting and he's kind of like are you okay well i mean he's the one that reminded her of that duty yeah even though she knew it she never realized it would affect her before but greg feels like he said it gravely like this like oh and you have to worry about all that plus you're part of it too because he knows that depth and she's facing away from him so I don't think he know. I don't think he thought <laughs> that she wouldn't have yeah. come to that realization. Yeah, exactly. For sure. But I do. Yeah, that's a good point. But I do think it is funny that he's kind of like, yeah, you're going to have to pay a blood debt. Are you OK? <laughs> <laughs> no, Greg. <laughs> um, but I do also just quick want to say, I think this points out why it would be such a big deal that Kefria didn't marry into a old blood family like a yeah. trading family i mean at least a live ship trading family because greg immediately understands the severity and immediately knows what's going on he has the upbringing the background knowledge and direct contact with the exact same issue right. that kyle doesn't have and never was given the opportunity to have and doesn't care about really and yeah he he wants to know just for knowledge's sake. But, but he doesn't care. He doesn't care. Yeah. Yeah. In the way that like clearly these people were brought up to care. And so I think that also shows a really big difference of why it's kind of such an importance to be part of this circle. But I also think it proves the downfall of the secrecy because I think if Kyle would have known that his daughter's life was on the line, he probably wouldn't be so risky with stuff. I think he would take things a little bit more seriously and try to learn a little bit more from Efren instead of being like, I'm right. bigger than my britches and I can do whatever I want. <laughs> I don't know. Either way, Greg is going to change the subject now, which is well, good. Althea changes the subject. True. Actually, he rouses her out of her reverie where she's just staring at a bulkhead And she's like, oh, well, I actually came to ask you some questions. And they go through some first mate questions about a sailor who she thought was, you know, insubordinate. But he's turns out he's just half deaf. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. She does mention that she just can't 
she doesn't know what to make of his attitude and that sometimes he listens and hops directly to what she says. And then sometimes he just stares at her with a goofy grin and she's like, I don't know what to do. Like, how do you handle that? And he's like, Oh no, he just, he's deaf. Yeah. (laughs) And then reveals that this guy took a fall from the mast and they didn't think he would live for several days and came out of it. And he's just mostly deaf now. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, this is super dangerous. (laughs) Like, I guess I knew that sailing can be dangerous. his balance isn't as good anymore. Yeah, yeah. But no, I definitely knew sailing is not, like, a safe thing to do, especially (laughs) in this, like, era. Era, Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But to have the reality of it probably wasn't even a storm. He just slipped and his whole life has changed forever. I was like, well, that is deep. That's... (laughs) But... You know, there's a little bit of attention there because Althea says, oh, man, I wish somebody would have told me that before. And then I would know how to handle it. Like, don't stand on his right side where he's deaf. And if there's high wind, he won't be able to hear you. Greg is like, it's one of those things that dad and I don't even think about anymore. It's just how the ship is. No one meant to make your job harder. No, I didn't mean that. Althea replied hastily. Everyone has gone out of their way to make my tasks easier. I know that. It's wonderful to be back on board a live ship again, and even more wonderful to discover that I actually can do this job. My father's will and my quarrel with Kyle and Brashen's concerns all made me wonder if I really was competent. Brashen's concerns? Greg asked in a quietly leading voice. Yeah, so nice little slip there. I don't think she would have said it if she hadn't had the conversation with Ophelia first. Right. Bringing up Brashen again. <laughs> um, but I do think it is, I, I feel bad for her in this sense of like, she was just trying to vent a little bit and it happened to be to the captain's son and he took it as like, well, we didn't mean to make yeah. your job like harder. And she's just like, no, that's not, I just meant that it would be less waste of time. Not like you're doing a poor job. Right. But also it does go to show that like there are some things that whenever you just live that lifestyle and you just, it just is what it is. You forget that other people don't just know those things. Yeah, for sure. So there is knowledge that is worth passing on. (laughs) But now they're talking about Brashen, which is much to Althea's dismay. (laughs) (laughs) Why had she said it? Where had her mind been? (laughs) Brashen Trell was my father's first mate on the Vivacia. So more exposition here. After I signed aboard the Reaper, I found out he was part of her crew too. When he discovered I was aboard a ship's boy, well, he had already made it plain to me back in Bingtown that he did not think I could cut it on my own. So, what did he do? Tell the captain? Greg asked when the silence had lengthened. No, nothing like that. He was just watchful. That's the word, I suppose. I had a tough time on that ship. Knowing he was watching me scrabble just to keep up made me feel humiliated. I think this is an important thing to point out, that she thinks Brashen was saying she can't hack it on her own. Yeah. He was not saying that. He was saying society won't let you win. Yes. And I think that's really important to point out because we know... Because he took we, it as a personal attack. Yes. And he's and, like, no, women are 
absolutely destroyed in this business. Yeah, like this is not a wonderful, magical rainbow world. From experience, I can tell you this is not going to be easy. You will not do well with this. And it wasn't about her ability at all. It was coming. If you're found out, it's going to be traumatic and possibly deadly for you. (laughs) Yes, yeah. And I think it's we knew that he was coming at it from that place, even if he was being pretty negative Nancy about it. But... Althea That's because it was the headspace of it. Yeah. And we were reading from his point of view. So we got his thoughts that he wasn't saying. No, no, no. He was super drunk. We were reading from her point of view. We were reading from Paragon's point of view, listening uh, in. Yes, yes. That's right. So yeah. third party, never mind. Either way, we know because we get to see into Brashen's mind often, he was coming out of place from self deprivation from himself, but also from a place of knowledge of real world knowledge and Althea has taken it this whole time to mean that he didn't think she could do it right not that it is just bad and will be really hard for her because that's how life is but she thinks he doesn't think she could yeah and it's like conflating Kyle's opinions with Brashen's or something I don't know she had that whole like I said inferiority complex of I'm definitely good enough, but everyone thinks I can't. Right. And well, then takes any attack on that as a personal attack and not just like advice. be careful with this. Yeah. <laughs> Which to be fair to her, when he said that, it was like the night her father had ripped away right. what, what yeah. her birthright was, what she thought she was getting from under her nose with no prior warning. So like she obviously wasn't in the best headspace to hear that real advice. And he was too drunk to filter it a little bit better. But it is really interesting to know that that is what she has been operating on is that Mm -hmm. Brashen doesn't think she's a good enough sailor. And so she she says that having him watch me made me feel humiliated. He had no right to do that to you, Greg observed in a low voice. Two sparks of anger burned deep in his eyes. Your father took him on when no one else would. He owes your family. The least he could have done was protect you rather than mock your efforts. No, it wasn't like that. Not at all. Suddenly, she was defending Brashen. He didn't mock me. Mostly, he ignored me. When Greg's expression became even more indignant, she hastily clarified, That was how I preferred it. I did not want special treatment. I wanted to make it on my own. And I did, eventually. What bothered me was that he was a witness to how hard I had to struggle. I don't know why we're even talking about this. I think what I don't like about this part of the conversation is how righteous Greg feels. He's so, I guess it reminds me in Ophelia in a way that it feels like he's sticking his nose into this business and like, <laughs> so I get it, but it feels so weird that he's so uppity about, I can't believe Brashen would treat your family this way. Like, doesn't he know who you are and what your family did for him? And well, I know that Althea, like- I think he comes from a perspective of, as we see later, knowing Brashen and being around him when all of that was happening. Right. So I really think that it's like, he doesn't deserve the second chance. He got it. He seemed to be doing okay. And now he treats you like garbage and humiliating and mocking you and not protecting you like a Bingtown trader man should. Yeah. Yeah. He grew up in a society that is more sexist nowadays (laughs) right right and he's view he's viewing brashen as a rogue as he was because he doesn't know brashen 
Yeah. So I think he just sees him as like, that is not how a man should act. That, yeah. But I think what I don't like about that is, number one, he doesn't know Brashen. Although it is interesting to know that that's how bad Brashen's reputation is, is that he's been doing this for 10 years and it hasn't erased the horrible reputation he made for himself (laughs) still. Um, But I don't love that he, it's, it feels like he's treating her like a damsel in distress. Like she is trying to complain in a like, oh, we're friends like this was super embarrassing because I wasn't immediately good at a thing I thought I was better at. And somebody that I know who I like bragged to had to see me be humbled. And he's taking that as he should have protected you more because you're a woman. And like, I can't believe the dishonor. It's just so yucky. (laughs) I just don't like it. I don't like that feeling of like, I don't know superiority or whatever chivalry i don't i don't know it's just not i don't love that shade of greg (laughs) 50 shades of greg (laughs) all right and greg says i don't know you brought it up not i there had always been a bit of speculation as to why your father took brash and trell on when his own family had given up on him he'd been in enough trouble over the years that when his father threw him out no one was really surprised Althea asks what, asks what trouble, but before we get into that, um, what's the speculation about why? That's what I want to know. I don't think it gets talked about at all no. because instead we go back and we get go into Brashen's reputation. But like, what was the speculation on why I, I Captain like, Vestret let it took him in? I feel like that's just like a normal of like why? Why would he? Yeah, because he was abandoned. You know, I I don't think there's. But I want that gossip. Okay. I don't care about Brashen's <laughs> history. I guess like we already know it. So I'm kind of like, okay, whatever. I'm like, but tell me what people were saying. Because <laughs> it didn't make their standing any different, you know? So why were people talking about it? I don't know. Because anyway, it was, that was, it was a, a big deal. A big deal. Yeah. No, it definitely is. But anyway, that so that's I just wanted to point that out that people were speculating about it, but we'd never know what they were saying. So... So she asks what kind of trouble and Greg goes into it. It wasn't a noisy scandal. I know about it mostly because we schooled together. It started out in small ways, pranks and silliness. As we got older, he was always the boy who would slip away when the master's back was turned. At first, it was just to avoid lessons or to go to the market and buy sweets. Later, he was the boy who seemed to know more than the rest of us about things like girls and Sindin and dice games. My father still says it was Trell's own fault his son went bad. Brashen always had too much money to spend and too much free time to amuse himself. No one drew a line with him. He'd get into mischief like gambling more money than he had or being drunk somewhere in public that in the afternoon, and his father would drag him home and threaten him. Greg shook his head. He never carried out those threats. A day or so later, Brashen would be on the loose doing the same things again. Trell always said he was going to cut off the, his credit, cane him or make him work off his debts. However, he never did. I heard his mother would always weep and faint when his father tried to punish him. He got away with everything that he did. Until one day, Brashen came home and found the door closed to him, just like that. Everyone, including Brashen, thought it was a bluff. We all expected the storm to blow over in a day or so. It didn't. A few days later, old man Trell made it known that he had officially recognized his younger son as his heir and disowned Brashen entirely. 
The only surprising thing about the whole affair was that Trell finally drew a line and stuck to it. For a time he was around town, staying wherever he could, but soon wore out his welcome and ran out of money. He got a reputation for leading younger boys into trouble and wild ways. Rag grinned knowingly. Both I and my younger brother were forbidden to associate with him. Soon no one wanted to be connected with him. Then he disappeared. No one knew what became of him. Not that anyone anyone much cared. He left many debts behind him. By then folk knew he did not intend to pay them off. So he was gone. Most people felt Bingtown was a better place without him. After he left, there was a rumor that a three-ships girl was carrying his child. The baby was stillborn. A mercy, I suppose. The girl was still ruined. So, we get to hear the background of Brashen from a third party. Not from Brashen's memories or not the half-hearted, I did something bad, my family disowned me. Right. But a real description from somebody who was around his age and has a little bit of experience and also knows a little bit more about the rumors. I think it's incredibly sad to hear Brashen's story because it sounds like a lot of adults failed him. Yeah. And maybe it is his parents' fault for not actually punishing him or maybe it's their fault for not keeping a better eye on him and, you know, whatever, letting him get away with things with no punishment at all. Clearly that doesn't help settle into the mind of a child that this is a serious thing I should stop doing. I also think it's heartbreaking that Brashen's dad just out of the blue, one of the times decided that's the final straw, no warning. Right. I'm actually sticking to it this time, which is so zero to 100 to me. <laughs> like you would think he would at least actually punish him and make him work to get better or work off his debts. And instead he was just like, no, I'm just disowning you now. And like, that doesn't feel fair either. That also feels like a cop out for his dad of like, oh, this is hurting my reputation too much. So instead of doing anything to fix it or help my son who is clearly struggling, I'm just going to get rid of the problem and start over with the next son. It's so weird. I don't know. I hate it. I hate that. <laughs> It's this way. And I think especially near the end of the story of how he then gets a reputation of leading young boys into temptation. So kids aren't allowed to hang out with him anymore. And all the parents turn their back on him. That makes me so sad because he's 14. He's, he takes a ride out on a sailing ship. <laughs> yeah. But I think the thing that makes me sad for him especially is the fact that at this point, that's just speculation. That's just people saying he could lead your like your kids next if right. they hang out with him. Yeah. It doesn't feel like he actually was doing that. If that no, makes Brashen sense. doesn't even mention anybody. No, he doesn't talk about how he like feels bad about leading other people down his lifestyle. I think it's more that he had that lifestyle, which yeah. makes me think there is no like that was just a rumor. And that also is hard. Like, how did nobody look at that 14 year old boy and be like, he just needs help. I can help him. Or like, let's send him to the monastery, anything. Like, why didn't they try? And instead, the whole town turned their back on a 14-year-old kid. And then he was taken by pirates at some point. Like, I don't know. It's just very sad. I feel really bad for Brashen yeah. reading that. And then I feel even worse because Althea didn't really know that. 
And she's now taking Brashen or sorry, Greg for his word because she feels like he has firsthand account of this, which he kind of does. But I think like her taking all of this as absolute truth makes it more sad. Yeah, like I okay, I want to before you get into what Althea thinks and feels, because yeah, that is yeah. important. Um, she starts this whole thing asking Greg about what kind of trouble. And I didn't read this part, but she says, I was just a girl when that happened, with little interest in Bingtown gossip. Years later, when he was hired aboard the Vivacia, my father did not speak of it. He said a man deserves to be judged on who he is, not who he was. And then Althea's immediately reaction is... To judge him based on who he was, yes. not who he is. It, Yeah, that also... I Thank you for pointing that out. I did want to talk about that too. Just this whole sense of... It's not fair to judge Brashen, adult Brashen, on what 14-year-old Brashen did. Right. And especially because 14-year-old Brashen did so because he was failed by the adults around him. Yeah. And I think... This does make me like Captain Vestrit more. I feel like I'm like slowly turning on to Team Vestrit, which didn't think I would, but Team Captain Vestrit. Efren. Yeah. Efren, yeah, thank you. Team Efren. Um, but the fact that he saw that this was somebody who was trying really hard to change and to prove that they could change and he gave him a chance and helped him, I think is really admirable. And it makes me sad that instead of taking that lesson from her father, Althea immediately succumbs to, oh my gosh, Brashen's horrible. And now I'm going to look at everything he's ever done since my father's died with the lens of he's exactly the way he used to be because that's what Greg is saying. And then disparages herself because of that. She says, ruthlessly, she stripped the truth of her foolish embroideries. She had been pretending he had been infatuated with her when he bedded her. The truth was that she had been behaving like a slut and she'd found the partner she deserved. To prove it to herself, all she had to do was think about how they had parted. The moment he realized that she had come to her senses was not going to allow him her body, he had turned against her. Shame flooded her. How could she have been so stupid and foolish? If he ever returned to Bingtown and spoke of what they had done, she would be ruined just like the three ships girl that he had left in his wake. It's such... Ugh... It makes sense if you think about it from her perspective like this, right? Like mm -hmm. the events kind of line up like that, which is pointing to the mastery of Robin Hobbs storytelling in this right. situation and how people can react. But we know Brashen's side as well. And he was infatuated with her. Yeah. It's... <sighs> he is infatuated he is, yeah. with her. I don't know. It's really hard because like. There's so many layers and yes. like because he he has changed he had changed yes but he is falling into his own despair and falling back to his old like addictions right, right? And, and vices and to be fair to him I don't think he was while he was around Althea before they parted ways like he had slipped a little but he had some even, sin in once in a while yeah but I don't think he was as bad as he is now no. I think if who he is now was what Althea was talking about. It would make more sense that she's like, oh, clearly he's right. horrible. But it's just so layered with this sense of the society's view of what's proper and what's not coloring her shame at wanting to have sex. The horror a woman interested in sex. <laughs> like, 
It's just it's so frustrating because like that's clearly a layer. And I think especially because of her background of her sister saying, you know, like that she is a slut or a whore, whatever her sister called her whenever she was taken advantage of by an older man the first time to then like have the agency. And she she's told Brashen she had I think she said that she had sex once or twice more just to like yeah because she felt like she should be able to do that and why not to then have to like feel that guilt of oh my gosh he was just using me he's a womanizer and this three ships girl is going to be me if he comes back i like it's so sad and frustrating and like also the three ships girl being ruined is horrible especially because who knows number one if she was even pregnant with Brashen's baby. Number like, two, I mean... Is she even let's real? Let's be honest. Yeah, is she real? Or three, if she is. The Bingtown traders don't care. No. They don't care about the three ships people. They're like, oh, yep, they're good. They're quiet. They do their thing. They leave us alone. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> like, so, like, yeah, there's a rumor, but... <laughs> yeah, I don't... It's just, like, there's so much... Ruined in what way? <laughs> yeah, well reputation she probably couldn't get married because in the society they like seem to view virgins as like what you should be when you get married so the bingtown traders yeah yeah three shifts people i don't know yeah that's fair we don't get a view but i mean (laughs) it's pretty i think it would be fair to assume that if they live in the same society that's yeah they have similar views yeah i think it's just one of those things that's really hard this i think is part of the the like the half where i don't love greg because obviously he's like being a gossip, which is fine. I love gossip. I love it. But it's so disparaging and like it doesn't feel like gossip. It feels like bad mouthing someone behind their back. I think it's what it is. And like that's just such an ick quality to me. I don't love the idea of putting someone down when they're not around to defend themselves. And I know that he's just talking about an event that most other traders know about. So it's not necessarily that, but there is that coloring in there of him disliking Brash and Trell and thinking he's a bad person anyway, which is going to skew the narrative. And I think that's just such a, like he isn't giving Brashen a chance for who he is, he is now and isn't recognizing the growth that he could have gone through. And I don't know. I don't love that Althea is taking that to heart, especially in a way that like is affecting her because of her life choices and making her feel bad about something that she shouldn't feel bad about. I don't know. But Brashen did leave in a weird way when she told him no. And that is yucky too. And so it makes sense that her reaction would be, oh, clearly this points to him just using me. Greg doesn't really notice her discomfort at all and changes the subject and offers her some food. And she says, I've no appetite. Thank you. Greg stopped his rummaging and swiveled to face her with a grin. Now that's the first time you've sounded like a proper Bingtown trader's daughter since you came aboard. I don't know whether I'm relieved or disappointed. Althea wasn't sure if she was flattered or insulted. What do you mean? Oh, well... There, you see, not only are we alone and unchaperoned, behind a closed door, but you furiously sit down on my bed beside me. When I told you Brashen left a woman pregnant, you do not go pale or rebuke me for speaking of such things. You look thoughtful. He shook his head, bemused. 
You wear your hair sensibly on deck. I've seen you wipe your hands down your shirt front, and you went barefoot and trousered the whole time you were pretending to be a ship's boy. Yet I can still remember a very feminine woman in my arms, perfumed like violets and dancing, dancing as gracefully as, well, as gracefully as you scamper up the rigging. How do you do it, Althea? He leaned back against the bulkhead, but the way he looked at her seemed to bring him closer to her. How do you move so easily in both worlds? Where do you really belong? Why must it be one or the other, she countered. You are both a capable seaman and the son of a Bingtown trader. Why should not I have both sets of skills? He threw his head back and laughed. There, that is not the answer one would expect from a trader's daughter. At least, not one of our generation. A proper girl would be simpering over my compliment to her dancing, not asserting her ability to be a good sailor. You remind me of the tales Ophelia tells. According to her, there was a time when the women worked right alongside the men, in every trade, and sometimes excelled them. Anyone who knows the history of Bingtown knows that when our ancestors came to the cursed shores, each one had to scrabble for a living. You know that as well as I do. She felt a bit annoyed with him. Did he think she was improper? I know it, he admitted quietly, but there, was a, there are a lot of women in Bingtown who would no longer admit that. Mostly because it is no longer fashionable. Mostly because their fathers or brothers would be ashamed of them if they did. True. However, watching you, I have come to see that they are false. Not just to history, but to life. Althea. Of late, my parents have been urging me to seek a wife. I was born late in their lives. They'd like to see grandchildren before they are too old to enjoy them. Althea listened in stunned silence. His sudden words shocked her. He could not be taking this conversation in that direction, could he? <laughs> so you read a lot. There's a lot to unpack in that section. Um, first and foremost, I want to point out that Greg is kind of one of those guys who is like, you're not like other girls. And I love that about you, which is <laughs> ick. <laughs> I hate that about him. I don't love this. It's like. Ooh, yuck. What, what's wrong with being like other girls? Girls are great. Not but, if they're all like Malta. <laughs> I mean, even Malta has her, like, I don't know. I don't love Malta, but like, not because she's a woman. Like, <laughs> it just, it's so interesting to hear him lament about the good old days when women could be more, but yet he still actively participates in the society that puts women in the boxes they are currently in. Like he's not really, I don't like he's, I, I know what you're saying, but at the same time, like what else is he supposed to do? Just be a bum on the street and yell about the inequalities or no, I just mean <laughs> like he's lamenting about the good old days, but not acknowledging why things have changed. Like Althea points out specifically Maybe the reason I'm different is because other people's brothers or fathers would be disappointed if they voiced things the way I do. And I think that's an important reminder of she had the support of a man which gave her the freedom to be who she wanted to be and not necessarily be as looked down upon as someone who didn't have that backing in their life. And that's something Greg feel it feels like Greg has never had to think about or tried to think about he's just lamenting he agrees that with her though he does agree with her but i think and thinks that they're wrong for that definitely 
I just think that it gives the sense of like, I can't believe other women can't be like you without acknowledging why. Yeah. And he's never given a thought to why. Like, I don't, I don't think that makes him a bad person. I don't want to say that. I just think the fact that he wants women to be that way, but hasn't ever really thought about what society is for them and why they aren't is kind of like fake nice guy to me. (laughs) I guess. And like, yeah, you can feel like that. Definitely. It's just that I don't think that you have, everyone has to think deeply about our society that way and the way things work, you know, like, yeah, Greg doesn't have to be the a, a ph- philosopher about the social structures and inequalities in no. how their society works, right? Like, this is his first time really observing Althea as she is in her natural habitat as a sailor, mm-hmm. as somebody in this world. He just remembers her from dancing, what, like, six, seven years ago or something. And that's about it. Right. And... That's all he recalls from her and now sees her like this. And he's like, oh, this is how women can be. That's cool. So I like I don't see him as wishing women could be like Althea or like a sailor, too. I just I think he's surprised by Althea and how things could be. That's my my read on it. Okay, and I don't think you're wrong. And I don't think I don't think he has to be a philosopher or like yeah dig in at all yeah over exaggerated no i know i just want to like verbally agree that yeah i don't think that's what he has to do i just the hypocrisy of it makes him not seem as great i guess it doesn't like shine the best light in my opinion on him and sure like i think it's great that he is progressive it goes back to the whole thing problem i had with efren vestrit right like they're being really progressive for their time and it's really good, but they're not making actionable changes that could help build a ladder for women to succeed in the future. And then like, you don't think Efren was, I mean, what did he really do for his daughter ultimately? Cause at the end he didn't even give her the ship and break societal norms. He sure taught her how to sail though. He did. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. He did a lot. I, it's whatever. I don't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. This isn't about. Efren, no, but it's not about Efren. <laughs> I'm saying like, I know I'm being really harsh and it's not fair to expect, especially someone as young as Greg to make building blocks or change society. And one person ultimately will not change society. But like, how often do you think is he talking like this with his guy friends? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. It's one thing to say these sort of nice things in a woman's presence to flatter her, but it's another thing when you can tell that it's not something that he's bringing up with other guys. It's not a conversation he's making in a male space. This feels like it's curated for Althea's benefit, which is the part that I don't like. And I think that makes it seem a little bit less nice and good and makes it feel more pandering and like okay you know what I, so like i'm not saying he has to make actionable changes or yeah. whatever but yeah so that i think that's the part i don't like about it that i wish he did differently like and i don't know like obviously i don't know we don't ever get to know what greg talks about in his free time maybe he does talk to his guy friends about this but it just feels like this is the first time he's realized a woman could be 
a real person and not just a dainty woman, you know, <laughs> like, and I don't know. He kind of goes into that too a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah. Talks about when I'm in Bingtown, my mother invites trader daughters and their mothers over to endless teas. I've obediently attended the gatherings and balls. I've danced with a few women. Here he smiled at her warmly. Several have seemed interested in me. Nevertheless, all the courtships I have begun have ended in disappointment. Always the same thing. My father looks at the woman I am seeing and asks me, Will she be able to take care of herself and a household and children while you are off sailing? Then I look at her with that in mind, and no matter how lovely or witty or charming she is, she never seems strong enough. Maybe you are not giving the women a chance to prove themselves to you, Althea ventured. Greg shook his head regretfully. No, two of them I asked directly. I reminded them that I expected to be someday the captain of the live ship Ophelia. How would it be, I asked, to know that you must share me with a ship? A demanding and sometimes possessive ship, I added to be honest. I reminded them that I would be gone months at a time, that I might not be home when my children were born, or when the roof sprang a leak or harvest season came around. He shrugged eloquently. One and all, they told me that surely I could arrange to be home more after we were married. When I said I could not, they refused my suit. Jenver went so far as to come aboard the Ophelia and suggest that she could sail with me after we were married if I could triple the size of the captain's room, but only until we had children. Then I would have to somehow arrange my life to be home more often than not. Did not you court anyone who was born into a live ship family? A girl would understand a girl who would understand what your ship meant to you? I danced with one once, he said quietly. So first I just wanna like quick aside. It's really funny. I just realized Ophelia can hear this whole conversation, right? <laughs> like she knows everything they're saying, and it's kind of funny. Mostly, yeah. She kind of she kind of implied that she couldn't. And remember, Paragon was made with a lot of wizard wood. True. I thought that maybe she just can't like see what they're doing, but she can hear that's like fair. Paragon. She asked about the silence. Yeah, that's fair. So that's what I was thinking. But like, maybe be. she can't hear them. But the idea that she can, I can just picture her crossing her arms, being like, being like, I'm not, I'm not possessive. Obs- possessive. I'm not <laughs> like, you know what? I can't believe he would badmouth me. A demanding <laughs> and possessive ship. How dare he? <laughs> So that like made me giggle. So I wanted to point that out. Um, But I do find it very interesting that Greg is like, no woman was ever fine with my lifestyle. And then admits that he never talked with anyone who was of the old like live ship family. But then also makes me wonder if any of these girls even were sailing families because what I mean, you kind of have to be right in big town. <laughs> no, I mean, some of them could have been not. merchants. Yeah, that's but true. But like, in what world would they not understand that a but person they, who sails isn't always around? You know what I mean? Yeah, but they they don't understand the live ships. Remember, this is impressed again and again in a lot of uh, these points of views that people just don't understand live ships and how they work and the families with them. I think that's just beaten into our skulls, which I don't really understand because they've been around them for years and years. Right. But I guess the society has just been so secretive. And again, this is another downside of having those secrets mm-hmm. that you pointed out before that they don't understand 
the length of or the depth of that bond that you have right. to have with your ship. They are family to you. So you can't just ignore them for months and not be with them. Right. Cause yeah. they're, they're ships. They're going to sail. They want to sail. They want to be with you. <laughs> and they can only sail a sail with family. Yeah. Yeah. So like there's that, but it just like, that's the part I don't understand is the sailor, even if it's not a live ship, sailors have to be captains have to be on their ship right all the time unless well, not like necessarily yeah i guess maybe I mean, like owners of ships can appoint a captain that's fair okay so maybe it's that sort yeah. of thing where their family like their fathers are just think of like owners uh, of fleets yeah well. like the uh um like finney on the spring eve he's the captain but he doesn't own it he has a share right. in it right okay so maybe that that makes more sense because i'm like in what world did they not understand that you can't Oh no! Yeah, but he, you're gonna inherit the ship. Sure, sail it a couple times a year. That's great. Just be gone for a couple months. You'll be home most of the time. Your first mate will take over as captain, and yeah, we'll just so go then, on pleasure cruises. Yeah, okay, that makes more sense. Never mind. And the other thing is, um, he said that his mom brings other mothers and their daughters over. So, like in this society, the moms is trying. The mom is trying to arrange marriages or like right. So it'll be with people who are more affluent and have money. Yeah. Or are good matches. And there might not be many people of Althea's age. It doesn't seem like. Right. Who are not married. Yeah. Because if he grew up with Brashen, he's about 26. And Althea is like 19. So. Yeah. Yeah. So there's not a ton of people. Who are not married by 19 <laughs> or 20. Yeah, and our live ship. <laughs> and our yeah, big families traders. probably. Yeah, yeah. That's fair. So I guess like I get that gripe that like they don't understand, but it is. I don't know. I think it isn't fair to the women because they don't understand like no. And he's not probably explaining it in a way that makes sense, because, again, we already saw proof that if it's something that he just knows and doesn't think about, it's not something he thinks to tell people. Right. So with the whole like none of the big town families really (laughs) yeah and so like of course explaining things no and of course these poor women are like well what do you mean you wouldn't be there for with our children or like after our children are born like I'm sure they would understand the idea that like he's gonna be sailing a lot it's more like oh but when I like my father's around and he just hired somebody to take over right sort of deal and so like i don't know i don't think it's fair like you're not i don't know they don't understand what you're going through and you're not really giving them a chance but i also think it's sad that like those two women who like heard that he couldn't be around and were like then i don't want to court you are treated kind of by greg as like like they just gave up and it's like or they have standards like you have standards too it's fine that they like they re- recognize that's not something that they yeah. wanted and they changed their mind. That's not a bad thing. It doesn't make them less than or like dainty or whatever. It just means they had a different vision for what married life is. That's they fine. They refused his suit. Yeah. yeah. And so I don't know. Like I didn't love the whole like, oh, women bad. <laughs> well, and then Greg proves that he has a strong attraction to Althea basically. Being like, well, I danced with one once that could understand all that. Which is the link, of course, between them that has been pounded into our brains across the pages. Yes, that they have that history of dancing together once. (laughs) (laughs) Which, like, 
did he actually think anything of her that one dance or is he just bringing that up trying to be like suave you know what i mean you know thea remembered it too so it must have been a good dance i don't know (laughs) i don't or does she just remember it because she didn't go to very many dances you know what i mean like (laughs) he remembered it i guess i guess (laughs) the silence held if he expected her to say something althea had no idea what greg moved very slowly as if he were afraid she would startle with one finger he touched her hand where it rested on the bed a small touch but it sent a shiver up her arm even as dismay filled her heart she liked greg and found him attractive but this was no time for either of them to act on that had she invited this How should she deal with it? Was he going to try to kiss her? If he did, would she let him? She suspected she would. Greg came no closer. Quick pause. I want to say that section breaks my heart for Althea. And I think really shows the damage of the society that they live in. Of the like whole pious woman thing where like women aren't supposed to feel attraction (laughs) towards men in that way she's like worried that she led greg on she's worried about her role in greg's feeling and this sense of like what did i do like i can't i feel so bad for doing this i didn't mean to how could i have stopped this and like even now i guess if he kisses me now i'll let him it's just i feel so bad i feel like probably every woman has been there where it's just this whole thing of like a guy not really reading the room (laughs) and you feeling like it's your fault for leading him on so to speak like that sense of dread of like okay this is not the time to be this isn't romance time right like things are going on with her life and she's not trying to put off the feeling that she's open to marriage she's trying to fix her family which she said to ophelia but she has also said that she's been flirty with him because she thinks it's harmless and it's not really going anywhere so i'm not saying that she's not giving him signals but i think the fact that she's in this position where like her head isn't in it she has so many other things on her plate she doesn't really have time for this and he is like making a move and asking her to marry him (laughs) well i i think that he is reading the room though because he goes on with this whole thing saying that yeah emotions aren't in it right now like i understand you got a lot of stuff going on here are some solutions yeah so like i i think like yes understandably not very romantic way to approach it but a very traitor way to approach it i think (laughs) (laughs) but he says in you i see a strong woman one who could sail with me or capably manage things ashore while I was gone. I see someone who is not jealous of Ophelia. He paused and smiled ruefully. If anything, I am a bit jealous of how quickly she has become fond of you, Althea. I cannot imagine a better choice for a wife than you. Hear me out. I have been giving much thought to this, and I see advantages for you as well. It is scarcely a secret that the Vestrit fortunes have not prospered lately. The vivacia is not yet paid for, and that leaves you as a ransom to the family's debt. It is also well known that the Rainwild traders would not consider taking a woman who is already married or who has pledged marriage. Simply by considering my offer, you could put yourself out of their reach. He watched her face carefully. We are a wealthy family. My wedding gift to your mother would be substantial, enough to secure her old age. 
You have made it clear you have no faith that Kyle will care for her. Althea found it hard to speak. I don't know what to say. We've talked as friends, yes, and yes, we've flirted a bit, but I have no notion that your feelings ran strong enough to propose marriage. He gave a small shrug. I'm a caution, cautious man, Althea. I see no sense in letting my feelings run ahead of me. In this stage of our relationship, I see planning, rather than passion, as what we must first share. We should be talking honestly with one another to see if we share the same ambitions and goals. He watched her face carefully. As if to give the lie to these words, he touched her hand again with one fingertip. Do not think I don't feel an attraction toward you. You must know that I do. Nevertheless, I am not the sort of man who would fling his heart where his head had not gone first. He was so serious, Althea tried for a smile. And I feared you were going to try to kiss me. He returned her smile, shaking his head. I am not an impulsive boy, nor a rough sailor. I would not kiss a woman who had not given me her permission to do so. Besides, there is no sense in taunting myself with what I cannot yet claim. He looked aside from her startled expression. I hope I have not spoken too crudely. Despite the rough shipboard life you have shared, you are still a lady and a trader's daughter. She ends it, before you chime in here, she ends it with, There was no way to share with him the thought that suddenly flashed through her mind. She knew, with vast certainty, that she would never desire to be kissed by a man who had first asked her permission. Permission to come aboard, some impish part of her mind whispered, and she fought to keep from grinning. And then she thinks about Brashen. <laughs> yeah. So Greg comes in with his offer, with his head before heart. Let's plan and strategize together. Let's see if our ambitions and goals align. And consider my offer, and that makes you not a ransom for your family. I do want to say that I do think it's admirable the way Greg is going about this. I think it's even more admirable that he's saying you can officially consider this to save yourself from the blood debt, which is actually really nice because that doesn't mean that she has to say yes. Although it is added right. pressure to because then he saved you and you, right. whatever. <laughs> Not that I think he's thinking of it that way, but he does feel like the kind of guy who would genuinely just be like, well, if it even helps you in that way, like I'm willing to do that. But I don't like I, I really do want to like emphasize this is very sweet and I think it is important and it shows his maturity that like he's thinking ahead. He is talking about how like sure there's like an initial attraction and there probably will be a deeper one later. But ultimately this is a partnership for life and I want to make sure that we're compatible and that we have the same vision. And we strategize together. Yeah. About we're a our team. future if we agree to this. Yeah. And I love that he is giving her agency in this. I love that he is giving her a choice and asking her opinion. And she feels like an equal here. This isn't weighted. I mean, it's a little bit weighted against her just from his position of having more wealth than she does. And she's in a bind, but like that doesn't feel like that is part of this. Like right. he isn't trying to make that the center. He's trying to propose what he is giving to her. Yeah. He's just like, this would benefit you despite like, or like yes. in addition to us being attracted to each other, if you are attracted to me. Yes. Which like, I think the reason I don't feel like that's a power thing is because it 
we know it's like their society. <laughs> yeah, it, like that is very traitor. It fe- like you said, it feels like a very traitor proposal. It is how they do dealings. It feels like it's a normal agreement. They sign contracts for this. Yeah, and I guess I just really like that he's taking her opinion into consideration. Like, yeah. I think that is really important and does show that he has a good character. And it saddens me that like Althea doesn't want to go after him more. I do think it's just the wrong place, the wrong time sort of deal. I think they could do Also, she likes that roguish charm. Maybe Brashen did ruin her, as she thinks. (laughs) But not in the way society thinks. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But I hate that that's her reaction is like, well, I don't want somebody who's going to ask my permission to kiss me. It's like, okay, child. Like (laughs) Her phrase of permission to come aboard is funny, though. That is a very funny thought, yeah. (laughs) But, like, also, this is kind of a geeky, like... Oh, sure. He's just, like, the prim, proper, traitor's son, social society, what... Who Ronica would love. Yes. This is Ronica's dream man for her daughters. Yeah, yeah. So, I don't know. It's hard... It's hard in that way because, like, I do think this is sweet and I do like it personally, but it's not the right time. I think because Althea's 19, it's not good timing. It's like she has too much. She's not not quite mature enough yet to be able to juggle things in the way that you like. (laughs) She doesn't have enough life experience, I guess. It's not even that she's 19 and that's too young. It's just she doesn't have a lot of life experience where she has to juggle a lot of priorities. I think it seems from the life she has held. Yeah. So it just isn't good timing on yeah. that. And she says that she liked the man, but his careful negotiations left her unmoved. Yeah. She still wants that. She, she wants, wants to be that, swept on her yeah. off of her feet and that's fine. Exactly. And I think that's okay. I like, I don't disparage her for wanting that. It's just sad because I think like a year or two from now after she's had a chance to juggle more things, she could have said yes to this sort of proposal. I think she would have respected it more, but she doesn't have a ton of experience with guys yet. And so that like romantic notion. And again, it brings to mind Malta that like sometimes reality and your dream of what a thing is are very different. And yeah, I don't know. I just, I don't know. It makes me sad to see this like clash of, oh, he's too proper. <laughs> <laughs> and she thinks the situation is impossible. Just kind of like sitting there like, uh oh, now what do I do? And then there's a scream for all hands on deck. She specifically said, as if Saw knew that there was no way Althea could rescue herself, fate suddenly intervened, <laughs> which I think is really funny and is a point towards Althea maybe being kind of religious she said it before she's talked about saw before yeah but like specifically she feels like saw intervened in this moment which maybe is just like a jokey phrase like oh yeah god really helped me out of that one but it does feel like it's coming from a place of actual religion i guess in my read of it so i thought that was interesting to think about so they both rush out the door they don't hesitate they're running towards the deck. All hands means all hands. He didn't take a second to bind his jaw or anything like that. The crew of the Ophelia was lined, uh, lined the bow railing, uh, looking down. When she joined them, Althea was incredulous at the sight that met her eyes. A Chalcedian war galley flying the satrap's colors was challenging Ophelia's passage. So here again, for another chapter... That's two out of the five that we've read so far. There's 
Chalcedian War Galley. All the rumors that were hinted at in the first book are coming to fruition now. Satrap has hired Chalcedian war galleys or warships to patrol for pirates, quote unquote. Right. And, and they are demanding to come aboard Ophelia. Right. And we did see that last chapter through Kennet and Wintro Wintro's point of view. Yeah. yeah. Like, so we did already know that Chalcedians yep. were flying the Satrap's flag, but here we get to see the reaction with the Bingtown traders because with the pirates, it's, annoying that the chalcedians are there but they don't really care about the societal implications of that right and now we get the whole bingtown side of it which is the important part really yeah so captain tanira is yelling down at them what mean you by barring our way throw down a line in the name of your satrap we will board you declared a bearded man standing in the galley's bow his blonde hair was bound back in a long tail down His back and battle trophies, finger bones bound with hanks of hair, decorated the front of his leather vest. Missing teeth gapped his threatening snarl. On what grounds, Althea demanded those around her, but Captain Tanira did not bother with such questions. No, you will not. You have no authority over us. Stand aside. In the name of the satrap, throw down a line and submit to boarding. Do not make us take you by force. Try, Captain Tanira suggested grimly. So the captain of the galley is taking out some documents, throwing them, showing them to uh, Captain Tanira, saying, like, when we board you, we'll bring these documents signed by your satrap, saying that we have authority to do this. We are uh, allied with your satrap to stop piracy in the inside passage. We are authorized by him to stop any suspicious ship and search for stolen goods and other signs of piratical activity. While the captain was speaking, several of his men had stepped forward with coils of line and grappling hooks. So, obviously, you can tell that this is a live ship. Ophelia is moving during this. I mean, she's, like, standing with her arms crossed, but (laughs) it's a live ship. Yeah. Definitely a live ship. And this small galley, uh, compared to the huge ship that Ophelia is is still challenging them like oh you might have pirates yeah like so it is mentioned that chalcedians probably wouldn't have a ton of experience with seeing a live ship in person but everyone knows what a live ship is like everybody's heard that they're alive even if they don't really believe that the figureheads are alive they at least know what a live ship is and what they look like yeah. Like it's different colored wood, right? Like I imagine that live ships have a specific color to them because wizard wood is like, They're like described silvery. as like a, yeah, gray, silvery. So like they know that this isn't a pirate ship. And so Captain Sanira declines them once again, says be on your way and be out of ours. Right. And they throw the grappling hooks. One is thrown overboard quickly, another one misses, and the third one is caught by Ophelia who is very upset by all of this. She brings it towards her and the sailor who threw it comes with the rope and she throws both of them into the ocean and yells, don't try that again. She warned them angrily, get out of our way or I'll run you down. From the galley came cries of amazement and fear. While many had undoubtedly heard of the live ships of Bingtown, few Chalcedian sailors would have ever seen one before, let alone seen one angered. 
live ships seldom frequented the ports of Chalced. Their trade routes were to the south. From the galley, a line was thrown to the Chalcedian sailors struggling in the water. So that's what you just said. Like, they just probably heard of it, but didn't know the reality. And that's kind of the same thing that happened in Jamalia, even though they trade down there all the time. Right. That it's a novelty. It's not yeah. normal. Well, there are only so many, right? Yeah. It's- same with the, the slaves who are, uh, the freed slaves who are on Vivacia. They're like, oh my God. It's a lot. Who's this thing yelling at us? You know. Yeah. So... It would be really disconcerting to see a wooden figurehead move, right? right? Like, that's weird. I would be shocked by that. Even if I heard rumor that it could and then it suddenly moved, I'd be like, whoa, that's weird. Yeah. (laughs) So I get their startlement. But it is, again, another another pause of like, oh, probably not a pirate let's just let him go instead they double down and they're getting well, ready to attack both Ophelia of, yeah both of them both sides are escalating quite far now Ophelia threw a sailor in the water and Captain Sierra's like okay let me handle it Ophelia <laughs> I got this <laughs> right and then the other captain says you know get the fire pots prepared so the Chalcedian warship is preparing fire pots, and Ophelia paid no attention to Captain Tanira. At the mention of fire pots, she had first gasped, then shrieked her wordless anger when she saw the smoking pots of tar brought out on his deck. For them to be readied so swiftly meant that the captain of the galley had had them prepared from the beginning. In Sa's name, no, Elthea cried as she saw the pots readied for launching. Arrows were thrust headfirst into the small fat pots. Fuses of charred linen dangled. They would be lit before the arrows were released and given time to ignite the contents of the pots. When the pots of grease and tar struck Ophelia, they would shatter and the flames would leap up. Ophelia could not avoid them all, and everyone knows that that's their weakness. The only live ship that had ever died had perished in a fire. Right. And obviously this would be a good tool against regular ships anyway. Like, it's not just (laughs) the live ships that are weak to fire fire in general is bad for wood so it's bad but there's that extra layer of althea personally knowing that ophelia is alive and can feel the pain and is worried about her for that level but also again like this was never a peaceful thing this is no they had this ready yeah they were ready to go it like really emphasizes why there's such tension with Chalced and how like slimy they are. They're using taking advantage of the Satraps like thing to be able to just board any ship they want and probably take goods. They I I assume they probably thought would say this is a pirated. We have to confiscate this or yes. something. And especially because it's a live ship, they know live ships usually have magical goods on them. So they don't know I mean I would assume maybe they could tell if it was coming or going from Bingtown, but either way, maybe they didn't know and they were going to check to see if they had any magic on board. Yeah. Who knows? Either way, bad and slimy and probably why there's a lot of feelings of hatred towards Chelsideans in the Bingtown area. So there's a flurry on both decks now. Uh, Althea doubts that pirates had ever bothered with Ophelia. She's not really used to fighting. So she's like, get her an oar or a spare spar or something, you know, anything she can fight with if they go on against her. People are trying to direct her out of the way. 
but she knows it's not going to be enough and they're still going to get burned. So she's calling for water to be drawn up. Greg is like, we'll get fire pots of our own and set their ship on fire. This is escalating into a full on going to be conflict and battle here. Yeah. And I do kind of just want to reorder what you said in the correct order that it happens, because I think that's super important because Greg says first, let's get oil of our own. It's Althea who then responds and says, let's also get water because Ophelia can't dodge everything and we need to get Ophelia a weapon because she isn't going to back down and she should at least be able to protect herself. And I think that's an important order to note because it shows number one, her leadership ability and number two, the fact that she is, she has the live ships in her uh, forefront of her mind. She wants to protect Ophelia. She is taking that role just as seriously as what they need to do in this conflict. And I think that's important because it made me feel really sorry that Vivacia missed out on having someone like that on her deck. And despite the man on the wheel trying to steer her away, Ophelia leans into the other galley. She stretched forth both her arms, and as the Chalcedy and fire pots were kindled and the bows drawn, she slapped wildly at the galley like an infuriated schoolgirl, all the while shrieking insults. You Chalcedian pigs, do you think you can stop us in our own waters? You lying sons of whores. You are the true pirates, you slave-mongering vermin. One of her windmilling slaps connected. Her great wooden hand struck the painted horse that was the galley's figurehead. Instantly her fingers closed on it. She thrust down on it savagely, a wild motion that pitched the decks of both ships. Sailors on both vessels cried out as they were flung off their feet. The smaller galley suffered the most. Ophelia released the bow abruptly so that the ship reared back up, a crazed rocking horse of a vessel. The drawn bows went off and the tar pots flying wildly. One shattered and ignited the galley's own deck. Two flew across Ophelia's decks to douse themselves in black smoke and steam on the other side of her, and one struck her on her starboard bow. Without hesitation, the ship slapped at the burning smear. She pulled back her hand and the tar on her hull flamed up again. She screamed as her fingers ignited suddenly. Smother the flames, Althea yelled. But Ophelia was in too much of a panic to heed her. She bore down suddenly on the galley, her sheer will defying her rudder, with her flaming hands caught hold of the smaller boat. She shook it like a toy, then flung it contemptuously aside. She left most of the burning residue from her hands on the other ship. As she let go of it, she clasped her great hands together. Gritting her teeth savagely, she clenched her hands into fists, squeezing out the flames that had seared her. Then, like an affronted lady, lifting her skirts and storming out of the room, she suddenly answered both helm and sails, turned aside from the troubled galley, opening the water wide between her and the smaller vessel. Flames roared, roared, black smoke billowed up in harmony with the cries of the sailors trapped on the burning ship. Eventually, as they pass, the noise of the fire shushed their words into unintelligible cries. The Ophelia sailed on. Pretty wild that Ophelia, like, murdered two ships full of Chalcedians, but whatever. <laughs> Just gonna brush that part under the rug. Like, they're in the middle of the ocean, even if they jump off, where are they gonna go? Right. They're dead. <laughs> mm-hmm. So that's a little wild. But obviously, like... It's also a precursor to the strength of live ships. Because yes. she, like, basically picks up a ship. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it's crazy. Like, we really get to see the power... But it is wild how much damage she can do. And it really shows us the undercurrents 
between Bingtown and Chalced and how Bingtown's going to react to this. It shows a little preview of the traitor's reaction to like, hey, we're not taking this. We're not taking this. And then you can see kind of the start. If you look into it a little bit more, the pushback against Devadra start when he's like, no, let's let them do this. The satrap's fine. No wonder he's labeled the traitor traitor later. Yeah. No, it's not fine. And this is crazy. And I'm kind of glad that they fought back and didn't just let it happen. But also, I do feel bad for um, the people on board that were just following orders. And um, something we didn't mention, but it specifically says that these are horse-powered Chalcedian ships, which means... No, 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 not horse-powered. I think it's a horse figurehead. The live ship's figurehead stared down at the Chalcedian's horse-powered ship, still and shocked. Page 96. Two pages. Oh, that doesn't help me. Oh, <laughs> I'm yeah. on a different book. <laughs> It's underlined middle paragraph. Horse proud ship. Oh, not powered. I was misreading. Thank you. Yes. I was like, those poor horses. <laughs> also, how is what's a horse powered ship? <laughs> you know, the horses are pulling the oars. They're really good at it, actually. Chelsea well, is actually going away from the slaves and they're moving to animal power. <laughs> Instead of steam. <laughs> well, <laughs> I underlined it because it's I was going to. proud. Yeah, not powered. I was going to make a comment of like, is Althea casually calling slaves horses? Like, <laughs> like what is going on? I was okay, like, no. <laughs> you were saying that. I'm like, I do not remember reading that. <laughs> okay, well, to be fair, powered and proud have the same letters. <laughs> true, true. <laughs> There's just different orders. All right, well. Okay, well, never mind then. <laughs> it's just Chalcedians. But there are probably some people who didn't want to be there, and I feel bad for them. Yes. Very interesting start to the conflict there. We hear more about Greg and Brashen's past and Althea here. So if you have thoughts on that whole situation, if you think Grash, uh, Grashen, if you think <laughs> Greg is a nice guy, tra- TM, <laughs> or <laughs> like not very sincere or if you're on team greg whatever please write in let us know yeah. we want to hear your thoughts on this situation as well i do want to say i am team greg still i think that they would make a good match but i also think brashen is better i don't know it's fine either <laughs> i don't hate greg i just wanted to point out some of his yeah, flaws yeah, yeah. that's fine <laughs> so please let us know email us at isfitshappy at gmail.com or you can comment on the post that this episode was released on, on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever. Or you can DM us, DM us directly at any of those. Where it is fits happy on all of those and post these to uh, YouTube as well. So please let your thoughts be known and we'll, uh, we'll talk about them. Yeah, we look forward to hearing from you guys next week. 